All right, if you want to start making your way back to your seat, uh, we will uh, step back in. And we'll, uh, what we'll do now is we'll step into the teaching, but you all get to uh, participate and uh, be present for a miracle uh, as we take the teaching that we have and watch it get condensed really, really, really briefly. I can do it. Um, that will be, if you're like, I don't know. Uh, I had to learn that a bit uh, in Israel because we, we, we did. We hit a lot and we had, there are times where like, this is, this is all we've got, so make do with it. But we'll cut it down because um, it is Pentecost, so it's, it's uh, Holy Spirit uh, Sunday, if you will. Uh, and there isn't a crockpot Sunday. Uh, even though I, maybe we were raised in a culture where it was like crockpot, well, it's set for a certain time, so pastor, you have this amount of time, and then you've got to get done because the crockpot is going to beep. Uh, we don't roll that way, um, but uh, I can still be brief. Um, as we step into today's text, we are going through the, the gospel according to Matthew. It is really, really important that we sit ourselves in the context. Now, not all of us get to go to like Israel and be in it, which being in the context helps. It does. It develops. It does so much as people had shared to place us in the story to be able to see how things unfold. But it is really important as we look at uh, and we're going to move in the coming weeks looking at Jesus' central uh, teaching. What he said, not single teaching, but what he taught about the most, we'll step into next week. The kingdom of God, or in Matthew's gospel, he calls it the kingdom of heaven. And we'll sink into that in the coming weeks as we look at, as Jesus tells these parables, but the parables surround this idea of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like. But to do that, I'm going to give kind of the heartbeat of the teaching right up front so we can move through it. Then I'm going to skip to the end and just give three little brief stories and we'll wrap up. But it's really important we grab a hold of the culture because the specific culture in which Jesus lived shaped a lot of why he did what he did and how he did what he did. Um, specifically what we find Jesus often having these, uh, we might say, aggressive discussions or we would call them and understand them to be arguments. And who did he argue with the most? Anyone? The Pharisees. But here's what we need to know. He didn't argue with the Pharisees because they were the enemies and they were um, so far from him. He actually argued with the Pharisees because they were the closest to him in thought. There are, there are very many, many scholars understand that Jesus would come out of that sect, if you will, of the Pharisees. So he was actually closely aligned with them. It's just that he challenged them to go further, to dig deeper, to not miss things. So in that culture, arguing, going after something, that is how they lived. That's how they did things, is they would argue. 
it's not because Jesus thought that they were bad or idiots or something. It's because they were knit so close to him. And what he was doing is he essentially was challenging family. I need you to not miss this. You need to keep going. Don't get lost in your pride. So within this, what helps us understand this is a key uh, story in the scriptures that kind of gets at the root of the Jewish faith that we kind of come out of, that we would understand it. So the heartbeat would be, uh, there's a story of Jacob. Jacob is one of what is known as like a father of the faith. He is one of the patriarchs. He is, so there's um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But in the story, Jacob will have his name changed at some point to Israel. Now, Israel means to struggle with or wrestle with God, to struggle with God. That's what Israel means. Israel is a person, then it will become a people, it becomes a place, it becomes a nation. This is how they became known. This is who they were known as, a people who wrestle with God. But they also have another name, Hebrew. They're known as the Hebrew people. Do you know what Hebrew means? Hebrew means to go through. So these people are known by two things. Those who wrestle with God and those who go through in order to be, to experience the next, the biggest, what is ahead. This is who they are. This is biblical people. We need this because that's not our society. What we need to do is go through the surface to get to the sustenance, which means wrestling, struggling, and going through. And we need this. So as our guide, Ronan Ben Moshe, our Israel guide, he said over and over in a, a number of different ways, names are not just names, they have a meaning. So he was constantly teaching us, okay, we're going to look at a story, or as we're teaching, there are names in this. And he would stop and say, these names mean something. And he would take us there. They have this kind of depth to them. And then we would talk about the Hebrew language because it was so pliable and it was depth and there was always more to it. And this is not news for anybody who's been around Walker Harbor for any amount of time that we talk about the importance of names and the Hebrew language and the depth and the pliability of it. Because our society is not pliable, I would say, and is not deep. And so we need this. Uh, we have a picture uh, to give it an idea. So we talked about Ronan. Uh, I have a picture of Ronan. He, had, um, he took a picture of us when we were in the desert, and then he flipped my phone around and took this picture of himself. But I love it because it does give a good snapshot of his personality. He is brilliant. He has, I can't imagine how much of the, the, the Bible memorized. Certainly my guess is the Hebrew scriptures, what we often refer to as the Old Testament. He just there, it was there. And yet he was just full of joy, as well you would be when that thing is dancing around in you. Giddy up. He had, and so this gives a good snapshot of that. But um, if we were to have one of us saying in, in our country, I would say around family and stuff like that. A saying we often have is, whatever you do, don't talk about religion and politics. If I were to paraphrase Ronan, he would say, whatever you do, talk about religion and politics. 
They would because the only way we're going to get somewhere is to go after that which matters most and talk about it. And if you're like, yeah, I know, but it gets really argumentative, he would go, I know. That's what they did. There was one time on the bus where Ronan and Mayer, the bus driver, they're arguing and we're sitting up front and I'm thinking, what are we going to do? Take it easy. He's going to crash us. You can't argue. And they were like after it and like turn around and I'm like, Ronan, are we okay? Like you guys are kind of going at, but they're arguing in Hebrew and he smiles and he goes, yes, we're getting ready for lunch and Mayer wants vanilla cookies and we need chocolate. No one wants vanilla. (laughs) I kid you not. And you thought, oh, I thought you were talking about the end of the world. And he goes, well, yeah, vanilla wafers, please. And you go, everything is argument. And that takes us into our text. So we'll read that, three little stories, and we'll get after this. Arguing, arguing, arguing. Matthew chapter 12, verse, uh, verse 1, we'll begin there. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Why are they saying this? Because in Exodus, we have the law laid out that says the Sabbath, the Sabbath. So we'll quick do that. Exodus 31, 13 to 14 says this. Say to the Israelites, Moses, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbath. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. Oh, Those who do any work on that day must be cut off from their people. Then Exodus 34, 31 says this, Six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even during the plowing season and harvest, you must rest. Even during the harvest season, you must rest. So the Pharisees are actually saying, your disciples are picking grains of head. They would consider that what? Harvesting. They're doing that. You can't do that. So in some ways it feels like, Are you breaking the law, the Torah? But Jesus is saying, "Mm, what we can do is argue about your interpretation of this. And that's what Jesus is doing. Uh, 35.2, just another one where we get to the kind of, oh boy, this is a big deal, work is to be done, but the seventh day. So it repeats over and over. Whoever does any work on it is to be put to death. So they're not fuzzy on about how they feel about the Sabbath and honoring it and separating it from the rest of the regular days. So, moving on, Matthew 12, 3, verse 3, then Jesus responds to them saying this. He answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? This is funny. Who's he talking to? The Pharisees. The Pharisees are experts in Torah. They would have Torah memorized. So when he says, haven't you read... See, now, I try and keep a lid on my sarcasm. I try and tone it down, and then Jesus does this. And it's like he just is saying, okay, go ahead. Because he is nudging, and he's, these people he knows well, haven't you read? They have. He is just saying, you've read this so much, you have it memorized Are you actually paying attention to that which you know? Do you actually know it. 
And so he's needling them in, in a beautiful way. Then it says this, verse 4, he starts telling the story of David. He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated, that is the holy bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. So Jesus is up to something big here. And basically what he is doing is Jesus is equating himself in the story with David. And just to keep it condensed, in that contextual story of David, David has at that point of the story been anointed king, but he has not been in throned as king. Saul is still king, but David has been anointed, so it's setting it up. And Jesus essentially tells this story to say, I too have been anointed as king. I am not yet enthroned as king, but he is placing himself with that. And then he'll go on in the story. Let's read the rest of Matthew. Um, or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath? and yet are innocent, I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. That's a huge claim. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, that's Hosea 6.6, 6. the second time in Matthew, in the short bit of Matthew, he has quoted Hosea saying this, you have to know what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Don't go just through the ritual, you actually have to participate in the heart of the text. You would not have condemned the innocent for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is saying, I am actually Lord of the Sabbath. I mean, I, I'm over this. They don't miss this because they will then go on to say, all right, um, we need to, he's going to go and heal a guy with a shriveled hand and how he heals him, we won't get, but he doesn't touch him, he speaks it extend your hand, and it's healed. So he doesn't touch him, which would be considered work to heal him. Instead, he speaks word, which is not work. <laughs> but he heals him. So it's like, and they ask him, well, is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? Well, I just did, but I didn't do it by work. Come on. And so he does this thing, and it's so stunning, but he equates himself to this if we go to 1 Samuel, can we just read that story real quick so we get an idea? David went to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here. So the priest gave him the consecrated bread since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence. So in other words, the priest is saying, I will acknowledge you as the rightful king. Like all of this has such a massive story in it. Now, with that, I'm just going to jump ahead because what Jesus is doing is he's poking, he's provoking, he's trying to say, let's get at the heart of this thing. Way more is going on. You're caught up in a little bit of law and he's trying to tell them, don't miss where the law is taking you. He's saying, we're taking this farther. He's fulfilling the law, which means extending it, growing it, taking it, walking it out. He says, your problem is you're stuck in stone. You have the law written down in stone and you think it's done. But that is not how the Hebrew people are. That is not what we get our name from, Israel. We wrestle with and we go through, which means we keep going. And Jesus, by the Gospel of John, is referred to as the living word. It's not dead. It's not stuck. It's not static. It's not in stone. It's living. So you have to keep going. Your problem is you wrote it down and think it's done there. 
Do you see the tension for us today? You can't just pin it and say it's done and it's done forever because it says we're living beings and we need to keep going. And so where is this going? And so he says in Matthew, what we know is the Sermon on the Mount, he says, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it, fill it to the full, to extend it, to tell you this is where it began, but it was not finished. We're going to keep going with it because it's to be living. So he does this, and he does this by arguing with them, pushing them. Did you stop? Are you stuck? Keep going. Don't stay in this dry place. Now, when we jump ahead, I want to give you an idea of what that looks like for us today and to wrestle with, to wrestle with this idea. So I want to give you a simple, kind of a simple story of what it looks like to wrestle with this idea. Then I want to give you a biblical story and then I want to give you a personal, maybe a little more thicker but deeply personal story for us to wrestle with it. Simple story. You go to a park and that, you know, a trail where there's natural habitat and you go on the trail and then you'll see a sign and the sign will say stay on the trail correct you've seen this before somewhere stay on the trail don't disrupt or interrupt the natural habitat so there's a sign that says the rule is you stay on the trail so you go on the trail now you might see another sign and that sign says whatever you bring on the trail take off of the trail Correct? Have you seen these signs? Whatever you bring on, take off. Don't leave anything around because that, again, can disrupt the habitat. So you go and you start walking on this trail and then your hat blows off and it goes off the trail. What do you do? <laughs> do you see what's happening? You have to make a decision. What will be your value here? Will you stay on the trail, leave your hat, break a rule, or will you step off the path, get your hat, and break a rule? This is Torah. This is interpretation. This is wrestling and going through. You have to make these constant things. Now, a biblical story, Joshua chapter 2, the book of Joshua chapter 2. Um, can you throw that up, Sawyer? We have that so we can read it together. Joshua chapter 2. Find that. Okay, then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies for, from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. Next slide. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. Lie. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. Lie. I don't know which way they went. Lie. Go after them quickly. You may catch, catch up with them. Lie. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. True. True. Uh, tension. 
She lies throughout this story to protect these two men. What do you do with that story? What do you do with that? Because if you're like, well, you can't do it. It's this or that. That's what we think. This or that. Really? You can take your this or you can take your that and you're still not going to be satisfied. You, there's wrestling. What do we do? She lied. And that was the right thing to, well, it can't be right and lie. Uh, uh, uh. We just want, we want duality. We want the binary this or that. A personal story. Sarah and I had a difficult time getting pregnant. We uh, felt very like it was a miracle. Had Sawyer, our oldest, he was born, he's a little less than a year old, and our uh, doctor, Sarah's doctor, knew her well, said to her, I would say at best, it's a 50% chance that you would be able to get pregnant again. Um, so then we find out she's pregnant. When Sawyer was a little less than a year old, she's pregnant. She goes along in the pregnancy for a bit, and then she felt really uncomfortable one day. And her doctor knows her well. She calls her doctor and says, I feel really uncomfortable. Something feels off. Her doctor knows her so well to the point that she has a pain tolerance a thousand times mine. Which, I don't know if that's saying much at all or whatever. But just crazy pain. But her doctor knows her well. So when she called and says, I feel uncomfortable, her doctor says, I want you to come in now. She goes into the doctor. They go in to examine her. I have Sawyer sitting on my lap thinking, we'll just quick go get this thing done. They examine her. The doctor quickly comes out and looks at me and says, you better find somewhere for your little boy to be. I have to wheel her into an emergency surgery right now. They go into surgery. As soon as they go in, her fallopian tube bursts. The pregnancy was taking place in the fallopian tube, and as soon as they got in there, it ruptured. And they had to take the fallopian tube out. And the doctor said, if you're at home and that fallopian tube ruptures, which it would have done, you bleed out and you die. Right then and there, if she does not come in. Now, having that surgery that happened like that, her medical records say it's an abortion. That's how it is labeled. That's how it is understood. If you say it's this or it's that, and those are your only categories, if you go with that, then I am a single dad to only Sawyer and do not have Eli and Jude. Are you with me in the tension? It is to be wrestled with. It is to be a struggle. It is not just that easy. That's Jesus' point in this thing, is if you just go and put it in stone and say it is done and we don't have to look at it anymore, he said you're not participating in our culture, our history of the people of God, which is to wrestle and to go through and then to wrestle some more and go through. 
This is what it means to be the people of God, is to struggle and wrestle and argue and get at things because we know we need to go through the surface and get to the sustenance that is more and below. And so keep wrestling and talk about that which matters most. Um, if you want to go towards the end, uh, our friend, uh, N.T. Wright, Tom Wright, uh, New Testament historian scholar, he gives us some questions to wrestle with. And so at the end, um, these questions that come up uh, from N.T. Wright, it's just what systems, that slide right here, he asks these questions, what systems are currently in danger of being exalted over the needs of real human beings in our country, our church, and our family? And what would it mean for the Son of Man to be master of them? Some questions that N.T. Wright puts to us to go when we wrestle with this idea. Because in this story, what Jesus was saying is, these people are hungry and we're going to get them fed because that matters more than your static law that you put back there and are unwilling to wrestle with when that is actually supposed to be the way of our people. And so Jesus says, no, we should struggle and wrestle with it because humanity matters, people's needs matter, and if, he says, if your sheep falls in a pit, wouldn't you save it? And then he's setting them up to say, yeah, and aren't people a bit more valuable? And their answer is yes, and they know it. And so they keep their mouths shut, and they walk out of this space, and in the text it says, then they started to get together and talk about ways in which they could kill him. Because here's what we can do. If someone asks questions, pushes, and says, I need you to wrestle with and go through, here's what we can do. We can make them a scapegoat. And what you can do is, they make me feel uncomfortable, they make me think and wrestle, and we don't like it, so here's what we're going to do. What can we do to get rid of that person? Rather than wrestle or go through, we'll just kill him, and then we'll get rid of the problem. Was their thought. That's not far off where we are today. People push, we want to argue, we want to, and it doesn't have to be mean, but it can be let's get after something and we go, I don't want to, what can we do to get rid of that person? I don't want that. So we'll make a scapegoat of them. It's where the idea comes from. The easy thing to do is what the Pharisees did, get rid of. Stay in the dualistic or binary world of this side or that side. Get rid of the muddied waters. Or choose the way of wrestling, which is the heart of the biblical Jesus type of faith. To wrestle with and to go through. But that takes a certain kind of community. A community that's pliable of heart and is willing to have the difficult conversations to wrestle with that which matters most. That is why I love this insula. Because we can have those conversations, we can wrestle with that which matters most, and we can go through it together. We don't have to always agree but we're going to struggle together. That's where the depth is. That's where the sustenance is. Not just looking one way. We will all align. 
that isn't the biblical people. They became more diverse. It says the message is to go to the ends of the earth. That means it's going to run into people and be given to a people who look and act and think very differently initially. And if we just say, no, you can't, you gotta, it's got to be this way or that way, and we move on. And Jesus says, wrestle, struggle with, and go through. That is the heart of this scripture here in this, and what Jesus continues to, to in, invite people into, which is why we see it's important that we say Jesus died for our sins. I get that, but Jesus was killed because he said, we are going a certain way, we are going to walk this out, and there are some people that say no. Pride, arrogance, flexes and kills Jesus. Religion in bed with empire flexes on Jesus and kills him. That's the story. We are invited to wrestle and to go through. I pray that we will do that as a community. That's what I love about this community. That's why we do what we do and why we sink in to things like this and don't go around it and skip over it and not talk about it. We're going to go into it together. I bless you, God, for this time, for this space, for the invitation to follow you. Oh, and it can be so very difficult. It can be very uncomfortable. But you have invited us into your story, God, to wrestle and to struggle in community. We don't do this alone. We don't do it by ourselves. We do this with one another. Together, we wrestle. We have aggressive discussions to go through and to find the, the more that is in you. I bless you, God, for this community, for this invitation that we can do this. I trust that we will be stronger, that we will grow in our faith in you by doing this kind of work. It matters. It's not easy. But you are with us. You are the living water. You are the sustenance that strengthens us. You are the arms that comfort us. You are the love that holds us and moves us forward. And you are the head of the church, which is your body, which is the people who rally around one another, hold one another, challenge one another to grow in you, in following you. May we do that faithfully. I bless you, God, for this time this morning, for all that was shared and all the love that was poured out for you and what you are doing in and through us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. 
Amen.